Christmas Eve. A season to be joyous. A season of giving. And we know the reason why we celebrate this time of the year. Whether or not they're accurate in the birth of Christ, all we know that he was born. And we can celebrate the fact that Jesus was born. And for all we know, they may not even tell the story correct, but it is a blessing that even uh, the church and the world alike recognize that Jesus was born. And so this is a season to be joyous because he lives, we can live as well. And I'm so glad that he saved me just in time. How many of you glad he saved you just in time? I was on my way to a devil's hell, I'm going to tell you, with rocket shoes on. But thanks be the God. He stopped that train that was going south and put me on something north. And don't be looking at me like that. You the same way. Hallelujah. Come on now. How many of you glad that God saved you just in time? Yes, I am. And if you're not, you can be. You know? But this is a season of giving. We will see many uh, giving gifts, exchanging gifts. And some people are going to take a whole lot of stuff back. And, you know, amen, Walmart line will be long. Returns and all that kind of stuff. But it was a thought that we wanted to show you our love by giving. And I want to talk to you uh, from a subject, the joy of giving. Say that with me, the joy of giving. Man, good to see you, Sister Tyler. She knows I'm talking to. Hallelujah. But God is good. And Let's go to 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, verse 1. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians, 8th chapter. And if you have, um, you know, uh, our app, or if you haven't, download the app, and you can get the notes there by downloading the winning church. The comedian Flip Wilson, some of you probably don't remember that, you're too young told a story about a preacher in his church. A preacher was trying to get his people to be more enthusiastic about their church, and some of you probably remember this uh, episode. And the preacher said in his sermon, if this church is going uh, to uh, get uh, anywhere, it has to learn to crawl. And the people said, let it crawl, Reverend. Let it crawl. Then he said, and after it learns to crawl, it has to learn to walk. And the people said, let it walk, Reverend, let it walk. And the preacher got excited and said, after this church has learned to walk, it has to learn to run. And the people said, shouted back, let it run, Reverend, let it run. And then he said, if this church is going to run, it's going to take money. And the people said, let it crawl, Reverend, let it crawl. <laughs> you know, there's a lot 
a lot of truth to this story. <laughs> and we like the idea of running as a church. And so we like the idea of making an impact of being people of faith. But when you find out that there's a cause that comes with it, we start finding out how bad you really want to run. And it's like exercise. I like the idea of being in shape. I like the idea of having a six-pack. But when I find out the cost that comes with it, I started thinking. You know, it's really not that bad having a marshmallow body. By the way, if uh, this is your first time at the Winning Church, I want I want you to know that you know uh, I don't preach on this every week, but you know we're on a series of lessons talking about uh, giving, and so we normally dedicate about four Sundays a year on this subject. But for many people, this can be you know an uncomfortable subject, and uh, many times it's uncomfortable because it's a subject that hits us where we all live which is being faithful to God's command in all areas of our life. And this includes the area of our finances. So today in our passage of scripture, the apostle Paul points out the positive side of giving, the positive side of generosity. He shared with the church in the Corinth that there is joy that comes with giving. That there is joy in generosity. And so Jesus said in Acts 20 and 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many remember reading that somewhere? And so the question is this, is that actually true? In our text, Paul shares with us how we see joy in our giving. I want to read it for you, 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, starting with verse 1. It says, moreover, brethren, we, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saint. And this they did not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desire Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, God wants you to abound in everything, in faith and in utterance and in knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us. See that you abound in this grace also. Verse 8 says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that though he was rich, 
though he was rich. See, some people think Jesus was poor. Though he was rich, because some of y'all scared to say that word rich. It's right there in your Bible. Though he was rich, yet for, our, for, our, for your sakes, he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. So let me see if I got this right. He did what he did so we could be rich. And I'm not just talking about money, but that might be included. He wants you to have a rich life. Am I making this up or is this in the text? Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice for this expedient for you that for who have begun before not only to do but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the, do, the doing of it that as there was a readiness to will so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Verse 12 says, for if there be first a willing mind it is accepted according to that a man have and not according to that he hath not. Now, I want to read that out of the Living Bible because I know some of those words kind of threw you off a little bit. But I want to break it down just a little bit more and then I want to preach on it, okay? So it says in the Living Bible, you might have to look up at the screen. It says, now I want to tell you what God in his grace has done for the churches in Macedonia. What did he do, Lord? Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times. That sounds like some of us. They have mixed their wonderful joy with deep poverty. And the results has been an overflow of giving to others. They did not make excuses of where they were. The overflow of their giving to others. Verse 3 says, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Some people, that's all they're going to get. They're going to they're get, they're get right there what I can do, and they ain't going to do no more. But they gave what they could not afford and more. And I can testify that they did it because they wanted to and not because of nagging on my part. Paul says, they begged us to take the money so they could in the joy of helping the Christians in Jerusalem. Best of all, they were beyond on highest hope for their first action was to, uh, first action uh, was, was to dedicate themselves to the Lord and to us for whatever direction God might give to them through us. And they were so enthusiastic. You see that? About it that, that we have urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to visit you and encourage you uh, to complete your share in this ministry of giving. These people were excited, but they were poor. You people there are leaders, listen to this, in so many ways. You have so much faith, so many good preachers, so much learning, so much enthusiasm, so much love for us. 
Now, I want you to be leaders also in the spirit of cheerful giving. You got all these leaders, all these big people, got gifts, but I want you to lead in the spirit of giving. You see that? Verse 8 says, I am not giving you an order. I'm not saying you must do it, but others are eager for it. This is one way to prove, listen to this, that your love is real, that it goes beyond mere words. You're not just talking this thing, you're backing it up with what you're doing. Verse 9, see I, why I had to read it out on different, so you can get it. You know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus was? Though he was so very rich. And the King James Version said he was rich, but here it said he was very rich. Yet, to help you, he became so very poor, so that by being poor, he could make you rich. In other words, he gave up so that we could have. Your enthusiasm overwhelms me today. I'm just reading. My God. Verse 10 says, I want to suggest that you finish what you started to do a year ago. For you were not only the first to propose this idea, but the first to begin doing something about it. Having started the ball rolling so enthusiastically, you should carry this project through to completion just as gladly. Giving whatever you can out of whatever you have. Let your enthusiastic idea at the first be equaled, equaled by your realistic action now. If you are really eager to give, then it isn't important how much you have to give. God wants you to give what you have and not what you have not. That makes sense to me. If I don't have it, I can't do that. Why are you looking so pitiful? As soon as you mention money in church, people going to start looking ugly. They were beautiful the whole time, the whole service, and they turned ugly on you. And just because you're poor and you broke don't mean you got to look ugly. Ain't nothing worse than being broke and ugly at the same time. But how many of you know that God don't want you broke? He came that we may have life and life more abundantly. Brokenness is not of God. Are you hearing me? Now, you might be between paychecks, but the God that you serve have provided for you all this time. Why do you think he's going to stop right now? Why do you think he's going to stop at the end of the year? No, if he's been taking care of me all these months in December, he's going to take care of me here. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches where? In glory. Tap somebody and say, I got a good God. Glory be to God. I'm, I'm happy already. I, I, got my, I got my own amens today. You know what I'm I brought some with me. I'll loan you a few of them if you want to. So the background of this story is interesting. 
The church in Corinth had made a promise to give an offering to assist the Christians back in Israel. But the Corinthians hadn't followed through on their promise. Why? Well, my guess is that they were like many of us. It's a whole lot easier to talk a big game than it is to actually perform in it. They saw the need, and they were told, oh, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. But when it came time for them to put up, they act like they hadn't said nothing. Now, it's easy to make a big promise or big promises, but when it comes time to fulfill those promises, it is easy to just, to just skip over them. Well, did I really say that? And so Paul, instead of beating the Corinthian church up, for not following through on their giving, uh, and he inspired them. And I really believe people are more motivated to give when they're inspired than when they have been, you know, guilt trip. And so we're not coming to guilt trip you today. We come to inspire you. Because why not? If God has been good to you all this year, and you know that you know you had some close calls. You know you had some near misses. You know that, my God, your, 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 you know, your change got a little strange. Your money got a little funny. And you know, hey, sometimes you had to pay out more than you did at other times. But somehow, some way, God made a way. And even if you had to go into your savings, even if you had to go in your investment, even if you had to go in something and use something, at least God gave you the He gave you the wisdom to put aside something. So when you need it, hey, here it is. So how did Paul inspire the Corinthians? He shared how the church in Macedonia gave. And he basically told them that their motivation for giving was love. What was their motivation? Love. What's your motivation? Love. What should be your motivation? Love. Your motivation for giving is a, we know that because look at the season we're in. Our motivation for doing what we're doing and going all out the way and shopping and getting all these things that we think that people might want. It's motivated by love. Because if I didn't give it to you, I'd listen, if I didn't, want to, if I didn't love you, I know I'm not going to get it for you. And so real giving, Given that carries with a power and influence always involve love. Say it with me, it always involve love. Yeah, they, they followed me. And so it always involve love. So first, love is demonstrated in our giving when, and I got three points and then I'm going to sit down. Number one, we give in spite of the circumstances. Verses one and two tell us that. So why does it take love to give? That's a good question. Because when it comes down to it, everything hinges on money. You see how when I said money, they got quiet right there? I wonder why. The only place that we get quiet when we say money is in church. 
when they bring these folk to Atlanta and they sell them tickets for, you know, $500, $1,000. Hallelujah. And you get the nosebleed for three fifty. They're not letting you come to that concert just because you love them. You're going to have to prove your love that you want to see Beyonce by paying for that ticket. So when it comes down to it, uh, everything hinges on money. The house that you live in. See, because you're thinking I'm just making this stuff up. How many of you got your house for free? I mean, you rent for free. See, I'm making my, making my case here. You want me to talk about this in church, but see, you know that it's reality. It hinges on money. The house you live in, watch this, the car you drive. Did you go down there and say, listen, I'm a Christian. And I'm saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Lord told me that you were going to give me this new 2024 because I'm saved. He said, I realize you're saved, but you got to add something to it. Well, what's that? Money. Everything is hinged to it. Help me, help me out, y'all. The food that's on your table, food that's in your refrigerator, your freezer that's getting freezer burnt. You pay good money for that, and you don't forgot you put it in there. Waster. It requires money. The woman you marry. <laughs> All of the ladies should have jumped up and said, Amen. The brother said, you were doing good until the end. You done went to, you done went to middle and not, Bishop. Go on and talk about what you're going to do. Hallelujah. Yeah. And when you take away from, you know, those things, then it means less money. And a lot of people are living with less money these days. Because a lot of you are doing without. You downsizing. You say, well, nope, uh, I can't get that this. But all it boils down to is the world we live in, it hinges on that. You know, last week I mentioned the average American carries a debt of $225,000. And if you, you know, you've been watching the stock market over the last two years, you probably thought, you know, I'm going to have to work until I'm about 200 before I can retire. <laughs> And you might think then, you know, their, their circumstances must not have been that bad. And if you look at verse 2, Paul said that they went through a severe testing by affliction. And we're not specifically told what affliction they were going through, but we might get a hint if, of, 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 of when Paul wrote about his journey in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 7 and 5. And he wrote, in fact, 
when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflict on outside, fear inside. So more than likely, they were being persecuted because of their faith. And that used to seem like such an impossible uh, possibility to me because, listen, a lot of times uh, people are going through because of their faith. But in today's climate, that possibility seemed more and more likely because the Macedonians were also experiencing deep poverty. We read that. What does deep poverty mean? It was a word that described a beggar who has absolutely nothing and had no hope of getting anything. That was what they call deep to the point that they had to beg for what they needed. And that's the condition of Macedonia the church was in. But here's what's incredible. Here's what's incredible. They didn't use their circumstances as an excuse not to give. Now they were in extreme poverty. They was in deep poverty. But they didn't use that as an excuse. So how would that, how in the world was that even possible? Because God gave them the courage in spite of their circumstances to step out on faith and give. You don't see them making any excuses. Are you following me? In fact, the fact is, I like excuses because they keep me from having to blame myself. You'll get that next week. See, when you, when you make an excuse, you feel good because you don't have to feel the blame of it because I made a good enough excuse to release myself. So, when I do that, then I get to blame everybody else. It was your fault. It was her fault. You know it was the man's fault. Well, you know as a whole, they don't like women. In sports, the greatest excuse-making team I could think of is the Atlanta Falcons. They haven't won a Super Bowl ever. What a wonderful child. Anybody living proof of the wonders of him, of his might, of his strong name, of his hand and his power. Amen. Haven't been good enough, but it's not that simple. Most fans will tell you the reason why it is because of a curse. And I prefer to call it a curse, but what's the curse? It's the Michael Vick curse. That's what we call it. And the curse isn't why they haven't won the Super Bowl, though. The reason why is because the Falcons haven't played good enough the whole game to win. It ain't got nothing about the excuse of the curse. 
They just haven't played good enough to win. You didn't play good enough the second half to win. But it's easier to stay away from the reality when you say it's a curse. But the reality is that y'all gave up. And you didn't play well enough because if you would have, you'd have had a W. Anytime we don't do well, we come up with excuses why it didn't happen for us. No, go back and regroup and reevaluate and say, hey, I need to straighten this up. I need to do this better. I need to do this better. I need to get this right. Regroup, come back. Look down your room. Tell them, say, I'm about to make a successful comeback this year. Tell them, say, I'm about to regroup. I ain't going to make no excuses. I'm not going to talk about my circumstance. I'm just going to do what God tell me to do and make my life better. Somebody shout, no more excuses. So the people of Macedonia could have made excuses for not giving. But they were willing to give in spite of their circumstance. Why? When you've seen God move and change lives, it gives you courage to trust him. Some of you all got, man, let me tell you, you loaded with courage. All them things that God done brought you out of. All them close calls. Some of you been healed from cancer. Some of you been healed from high blood pressure and sugar diabetes and all these other things that have been happening in your life. And, you know, some of you all been healed from a broken relationship. They walked out on you, left you with the children, left you high and dry, left you, my God, that took the money. But God had a way of bringing you back. You got some spring in you. You have bounced back from everything that the enemy has thrown at your life. And you're not done yet because if you thought that I came back from that, you ain't seen nothing. Nothing yet with what God would do with somebody that got courage enough to say, Lord, I'm going to serve you no matter what. Hallelujah. And so the winning church is an example of this. When the winning church started, it was not an ideal time for a church to start. Let me tell you something, my first offering was too, it's too embarrassing to repeat. But let me, let me tell you something, it's not how you start out. Would you let everybody on your own tub say, it's not how you start out. And tell, let's just go and say, say, today is a new beginning for you. And I know you don't have it all figured out yet. But tell them, say, it ain't how you start out. But it's going to be how you finish. I can see you in your future. You're going to finish on top. You're coming out of this thing with your hand lifted up. There's going to be a turnaround for you and your family. Who am I talking to in here? You got to come up on top. You started from the bottom. Let me calm myself. Let me calm myself. So the very first people who attended our church had no outside reason from a human perspective to come and support our ministry. So let me tell you something. We met in base housing. Everything we owned was literally encased in base housing. 
But when we started building on this land, I mean, the housing market bubble was bursting and it was a horrible time for us to, you know, be going through a building project and building a worship center. But God. Put a sign out there, financed by God's people. You sitting in something that was financed by God's people. It wasn't financed by a bank. It wasn't financed by... God's people did it! It wasn't a good time, but they gave anyway. Why? Because of love. People gave to this ministry because of love. It wasn't because they had anything to gain personally, but they did it because of love. And you cannot give God something that he won't give you back multiplied. Because we saw God's faithfulness as we move from base housing to 322 Curtis Street. And as we saw more and more people lives being touched by the ministry of the church. And when you start seeing people, seeing God move, you want to see more of it. And that's how we are. As you see God moving this year to come, you're going to want to see God move anymore. You say, God, if you did this, maybe you can do that. God, if you did that, maybe you can do this. Well, let me look over here. God, you can do something over here. Well, let me oh, done turn around. God done done something over here. The more God does, the more you want to see him move in your life. Is there anybody here want to see the hand of God move on your life? Let the long-tongued liar keep on talking and everybody that kicked you to the curb. But what you going to show them is that God can do something with somebody that y'all thought would never be anybody. Somebody shout, I'm coming on through here. Hallelujah. They may have given up on you, but you cannot give up on yourself. Are y'all hearing me? Say, I won't give up on myself. I don't care what they said about me. I'm not giving up on myself because you and God are the majority. You and God can do all things. You can do all things through Christ that give you strength. If I got to start all over again, I'll start right now with the way that I think, the way that I say it. I'm not losing in life anymore. I am a winner. I don't care what the score look like. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, just tell yourself, I'm going to change my attitude this year. I'm going to talk better about myself. I'm not going to talk down to myself. I'm going to give myself a chance to survive. I'm going to give myself a chance to thrive. I'm going to give myself a chance to exceed and excel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got to encourage yourself in the Lord like David said. If folk won't shake your hand, shake your own hand. If they won't pat you on the back, pat yourself on the back. If they won't encourage you, encourage yourself. Say, you're going to make it through here. Hallelujah. I refuse to stay down. 
I don't care if we get to the last minute. God going to work something out. Because he told me he is on time God. He'll come just in time. Oh, my grandmama said he may not come when you want him. But he's right on. Who am I talking to up in here? Hallelujah. So the people were giving out of love. Now, love is demonstrated by our giving when we give in spite of our circumstance. Number two, love is demonstrated by our giving when we give with enthusiasm. You write in notes, write that down. So the key section I, I want you to look at is in verse four, where it says, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And so the church in Macedonia, which was uh, desperately poor, was begging Paul to let them give to the church in Israel. Now, let me see if I got this right. They were desperately poor. They were deeply poor. They were extremely poor. And they begging the man of God to let them give to the church of Israel. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised Paul didn't just, you know, kill over. And I can't think of too many times when I've had someone begging me to let them give. But now how cool is that? You at church and say, you know, we need this. And we, All right, well, uh, let us do it. No, you can't do it. Let us do it. No, I want you to give. Let us do it. It's incredible. These people were so enthusiastic because they were in a hopeless situation. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a hopeless situation? <laughs> More than likely, they've been blackballed in the community because of their faith. This would have caused them to be in dire financial strait. And yet, they were eager to give. And that's what Jesus does in the person's life. He takes us from wherever we are and he gives us hope. He takes people who are broken and enables them to be people who are who can bring healing into the lives of others. You think that you're doing bad and you think you don't have nothing to give. But man, let me tell you something. Just the words that you speak to somebody can pep them up and pick them up and encourage their life. Oh, you follow me? And when you've given hope when you've given a cure the one thing you want to do is share it you want to share what God has done for you you want to spread it around and I look at this and think that but they didn't have a lot to spread around they were desperately poor y'all it doesn't seem like their offering could have made that much of a difference but remember a couple of weeks ago as Jesus, when Jesus did a boy's two small fish and five loaves of bread, he fed the crowd of around fifteen to 20,000 people. 
So God is not interested in the size of your gift. He's interested in the heart you give with. Did you get that? Now, in the next chapter, Paul told the Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. Remember when Jesus was with his disciples outside the temple and the people were coming by dropping their offerings in the money box. He only commended on one lady's offering. Her gift was less than a nickel. And what did Jesus say about her gift? Look at Luke 21. One through four, I got it on the screen so I can go fast. It says, he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He saw the rich doing it. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. And I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have, uh, have put in, in the gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. It's hard to give with enthusiasm when you're hanging on too tight. You remember I told you there's 947 billionaires who gave only 1.2% of their earnings. The most frustrating sport I've ever played is golf. So many ways it's counterintuitive. If, if you want the ball to go further, one of the best things uh, you can do is not to grip the club too tightly. I don't know how many of you have ever taken golf, but you got some lessons. Uh, that's what they told me. And so you want to grip it real light. You want to interlock those little fingers right there, you know, so you can grip it real light. You got to grip it a certain way. And too much grip pressure puts tension into your arms and prevent you from keeping your wrist cocked on the downswing. And so most importantly, a tight grip encourages you to swing with your hands and arms instead of your uh, big muscles in your lower body. So you got the, the lower body is the part of how your swing is going to be accurate. All right? your lower body, and how far it's going to go. And so you don't want to grip the club too tight. Oh, you say, oh, Bishop, that's what I've been doing. Well, you just got a little lesson, all right? And so you don't want to do that because uh, what you got to understand that this dooms your swing before you begun. So the same idea is true with giving. When you hang on too tight, it's hard for you to let it go. And when you're not willing to let it go, you sap the strength from the potential of your giving. And so the Macedonian church was able to be a great example because even though they didn't have much, they were willing to let it go. So why... Were they willing to release what they had? I'm going to tell you, because of love. Right. Only way folks are willing to release what they have is because of love. 
people released and folks are talking about the winning church and how we're doing all we've been doing these many years in the city and how in the world that we can buy major property in the heart of the city. A million dollar property in the heart of the city. How in the world y'all can do that? People at this church give because of love. The Macedonian church, they're giving and ours as well demonstrate what we love. People love this church. And they demonstrate it by what they do. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No matter what we have, we always give to those things that we love the most. You remember anything else? I need you to remember that. No matter what we have, we always give to those things that we love the most. That's why you give to your children. They can sometimes be bad as all get out. You still love them. Amen. They can embarrass you and, and upset you at the same time, but you still love them. You be trying to help them. Amen. And then they act like you ain't done nothing. And, and nobody else ain't gave up on you, won't give up on you like mom and daddy. But you act like they're your enemies. And they do what they do because they're motivated by love. Amen. Parents will move all out their way because they love their children. Now let me ask you all a question. This Christmas, who do you buy gifts for? You bought them for the people you love and care about. You didn't go out and buy gifts for people you don't know all that well. You bought gifts for people you're closest to and people you love the most. And when you love God, you give to him. So, love is demonstrated by our giving when we give in spite of our circumstances. Love is demonstrated when we give with enthusiasm. And finally, love is demonstrated in our giving when we follow through. Say that with me when we follow through. Say it again. I must follow through. Paul counsel in verse 10 is to finish what? You have begun. He says, now I am giving an opinion on this because it is profitable for you who a year ago began not only to do something, but also to desire it. Now, Paul states that he gives his opinion on this matter. And he was giving advice on giving. And he reminds us that giving must always come from a what? Willing heart. Right? It cannot be coerced or forced. It must come from a willing heart. But Paul doesn't simply want them to get just to give, but to desire to give. Now watch this. Desire primes the pump 
forgiven. There's some folk don't even have a desire. They come here and just, you know, suck up the air and the heat and all the good music and everything else. They don't have no desire to do nothing. And look at y'all, what, what y'all, what y'all going to do for me? So Paul encouraged them to follow through and to turn their desire to contribute into action in verse 11. Look what he says. Finish the task as well, that just as there was eagerness to desire it, so there must also be a completion from what you have. So the Corinthian Christians had been the first to agree to the giving project in, in 1 Corinthians 16 chapter. But, yeah, that's the giving project. That's when they started in 1 Corinthians. But still hadn't followed through. Here we are in the second chapter, but in the first chapter, they had vowed to do it. But Paul wanted them to know that the desire to help wasn't enough. Because there's a whole lot of folks that got a desire to do it, but they, that's not enough. You got to follow through. Yeah. Willingness and desire are never substitutes for doing. Let that soak in. There's a whole lot of Are you willing? Yes. Do you have a desire? Yes. Let's go do it. No. Are you ready? Yes. Do you have a desire? Yes. Now let's go. Well, uh, let me go and check on my mama first, and I'll get back with you. So many people have a noble and a good resolutions, but never follow through with them. And we all know the old proverb, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are a lot of folks, ooh, shy. He was a good person, and he had it going on, and he had good intentions. But he's not going to make heaven his home. And it's sad. When somebody leaves here, you got to find for stuff to say. Well, you know, he was a good golfer. He was a good bowler. He played kickball well. He was a good baseball player. He can sing. Hallelujah. There's a lot of folk that I can stop saying you, but they ain't going, going to heaven. Hallelujah. And so, you just can't have desires alone. So, Paul's advice was to immediately put into action the desire God had placed in their heart. So sometimes our willingness to give often needs to be encouraged. God desires us to put our good intentions into concrete action. It just can't be good intention. You got to follow through with actions. Just can't be willingness and in good intentions and desires. You got to follow through with doing. It's time for every one of us in here to follow through. Now, if it's not going the way you want it to go, that's a part of it. If you want to run a marathon, you can't get tired within the first mile. And say, I quit. You can't get tired in midstream and say, I'm going to turn around. You got to do it to its completion. Now, if you look at verse 12, it encourages the Corinthians to give according to the desire in means. 
Look what it says. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. God doesn't expect us to give what we don't have. They were expected to give according to their ability. And sometimes I think if, you know, if I were a millionaire, I hear it all the time. Huh? If I'm a millionaire, I, I do this and that. But there's, there, here's the deal. God is not concerned with what I would do if I had a million, but what I would do with what I have. We don't want to hear if you hit the lottery. We don't want to hear if you had billions. We want to know what you're doing what you got right now. Because if you can't give 10 cents out of a dollar, I doubt you'll be able to give from a billion. You ain't going to give no 100 million if you got a billion. Yeah, huh? Yes, I will. No, you won't. Now, some of you all God can trust. God doesn't see the portion but the proportions. And if we could give more but don't, God notes it. If we want to give more and can't, God also notes that. So you can't fool God. He already knows what's in your heart. He know if you want to do it and you can't do it. He know whether you can do it and you send it to my uh-uh. I ain't giving. I don't know if people know that what I got. It ain't about what we know. It's about what you and God know. God sees the heart gift and not the hand gift. Ooh, that's good. He sees the heart gift. And when we have given willingly according to what we have, we have practiced faith. We practice love. Are you following me? See, I was taught at an early age the importance of giving. The importance of giving tithes and offering in church. That's how I was taught. That's how I was reared. That's how I raised her. I taught my wife about giving tithes and offering. Because she wasn't as fortunate as me. You know, she was raised up on the dues system. Y'all remember them dudes that they say, pay your dues? Some of y'all too too young to know anything about that. Well, now, that was easy for us to do when things were, were going well for us to give when we were younger. But it gets a little harder when finances start getting tight. And when we start the winning church 30, what, 31 years ago, uh, things were really tough. And you know what the results of, of that has been? It has become easier for us to trust God because we can look back on the times in our life and many others have said, you know, I know, uh, you know, uh, it's a little stretchy right now, but it's a little sketchy, but God provided for us in the past, and I trust that he'll do so again in our future. Amen. See, we didn't have nothing. <laughs> See, everything we had when we started was borrowed. But God came through for us. Hallelujah. And we, everything was borrowed, but now we're in the business of paying things off. 
said, it makes it easier for me to finish the task when God calls me to give. And I know I'll be able to do it. But the only way you'll discover God's blessings and faithfulness in your giving is when, well, you give. And so most people talk about how much they want to give and how they desire to be supportive. And, and let me challenge you to do just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it when the Holy Spirit is telling you to do it. And what you'll discover is that giving is worth it. It's so powerful that it won't matter what the circumstances are. It is so powerful that you will be enthusiastic about doing it. It is so powerful that you will follow through on your giving. It is so powerful that your life will change and you won't look at things the same. You won't look at money the same. It is so powerful when you are delivered. You're not too emotional, detached to the money. You know that God, the same God that gave you that, he's going to give you some more. All you got to do is trust him. As I close, we find out what's important to us by examining what it is we give to. What you give to, you show that how important it is. That's why you give to your wife. That's why you give to your husband. That's why you give to your children. They're important to you. What's important to you, you support with your time and your resources. Are you following me? And there's nothing greater you can invest in the work of God's people. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, my last verse of scripture. He said, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the forces of Hades will not overpower. We need a bulwark that will stand against the world's march toward self and secularism. And that bulwark is God's church. And it is the greatest mission you can support because you can know that God's church is going to stand. Are you here? Now, I don't know. I, I'm sure you, you have noticed it. That since the pandemic, there has been like a great falling away from the church. There are people that it has been really tough for them to get back to the house of God. And it's a blessing that you all are here today on a Christmas Eve. Oh, it is a blessing. And I believe that you came because you are motivated by love. You came because you love God. You came because you love the people. You came because you feel that, hey, I need to be in the midst of those that agree with me about God's word. Well, some of you came because, you know what, I need to be here because I need to be healed. I've been going through a little sickness. I need healing. Some of you came because, you know, uh, life has been a little shaky. But God, I need some help. And the only place I know to go is go to the house of God and get lifted up. Hallelujah. 
And you know the world is not going to get no better if you're going to live a life of, you know, of being excited and enthused about your life. You're going to need God in your life. He's the one to know how to turn a bad situation into a good, a negative into a positive. I'm telling you, he knows how to turn things around. When your business is not going well, not faring well, God will be there to pick you up. We walk by faith and not by sight. Your whole life is a faith move. The job you signed up, signed up for was a faith move. You don't know if they're going to come in tomorrow and say, we got to let a thousand people go. And your position was one of them. It's a faith move. Are you hearing me? You live by faith every day. You don't know if your house is going to be standing tomorrow, but you believe God, hey, when I get out of here, I'm going home. I'm going to a place that's standing. Those people over in the Middle East, over in Gaza, one minute they were in a house, and the next minute they were in poverty. War caused them to go from one state to another state. And you losing family members left and right because of a war. And innocent people is in the middle of it. In war, it's never fair. Innocent people get hurt. You get, yes, you get hit by friendly fire. I thought you was the enemy. I'm sorry. I'm dead now. So in an instant, their lives changed. Why did I bring that up? In an instant, your life can change. You better make sure your anchor holds. You better make sure that you got a, you got, listen, you're a part of the solid rock. Are you hearing me in here? Because you don't know how your life can change in an instant. And I don't care how old or how young you are. Young people are now demising. Young people are having trouble. You better make sure you trust in God. I remember when I did my sister's funeral years ago. She died at 33. She left three kids. Died at 33 years old. Young girl. Young. She hadn't really started to year, live yet. But, but because she wanted to live righteous living, wanted to hang out with certain people, And my mom, I remember my mama asked me, I said, Melissa, why do you like to hang around? I just love to be around those kind of people. Guy that she was messing with uh, killed a cop and ran up to D.C. They, they, tra they tracked him down. She liked to hang around people who was Rustlers and gangbangers and thugs. Pretty 
little girl. But her idea of living was totally different than ours. And she left here early. I remember before she died, I was talking to her and witnessing to her. She gave her life to Christ. Right before she passed. Just because you young don't mean the devil ain't trying to take you out of here. Now is the time for you to think about your life. I don't care if you're 47 or 27 or 17 or 7 or 67. It does not matter. You need to think about you making sure that you got your life together. Tomorrow, tomorrow is really not promised to any of us. Years ago, young man right here in, in this city came and uh, I don't know the service of how did they, I think Jasmine was here. And he stood right here. Lifting, I see him right here. Lifting his hands right here. Gave his life to Christ. That same day, went over to the park out here. Girl stabbed him right in the heart. Died. Young man. Why am I bringing that up? Life ain't promised for you to just walk like, oh, hey, I got it. people over there in Millie's, they wouldn't ask, a lot of people wouldn't ask them to be bummed, but there were some, you know, people who just had so much hatred. They didn't want to start it. But now you know Israel said, we're going to finish this. But you caused other innocent people lives to be misplaced. I'm saying this. Is that you better keep your trust in God. Watch me now. You, you, can't, you can't trust this world system. Because all of us in here, more or less, are living on promissory notes. What if... What you own on your house and what you own on your car, and they say, I want all of it right now. All of us are here straight to bankruptcy. What if they came and said, uh-uh, I'm calling the note in right now. That's why I say you better keep your trust in God. Because you don't know what tomorrow holes for you. Jesus is the answer. If I leave my wife tomorrow, at least she can know that he loved the Lord and he accepted Jesus into his life. And I will see him. Hallelujah. And you can know the same thing. Everybody stand
Would you bow your heads with me real quick? I'm going to make this real quick. Because uh, the children back there having fun. They back there eating and partying and everything. Don't y'all forget your children today now. We give to this church because we love it. That's the joy of giving. And we're not going to stop. There's so many things that this church has done in this community, done for other families. Even today, we're going to bless some families. We probably won't tell you who they are because, you know, what I found out in the past that when people are not doing so good, they don't like for you to highlight them. They like you to keep that on the, you know, on the low low because, you know, that's kind of, that's personal, that's embarrassing and everything else. But this church every year blesses families, inside and outside the house. We do a special time where we do the inside and we do the outside. Uh, but I tell you, the reason why we're still standing here today in this beautiful edifice is because people have been motivated by love. They love God so much that they do what they do. And First Lady and I both are leading the pack. We have done what we've done because we love God. We have made great sacrifices, y'all. But it's because we're motivated by our love for God. Would you, would you bow your heads with me for a moment? 